Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Florida Prospect Report. I'm your co-host, Bailey, here with my co-host, Eric. And today's episode, we are returning to our System Spotlight series. Today's team, we are going to be talking about the Baltimore Orioles farm system. And our special guest today is Bob Fellin of the On The Verge podcast. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. No, I appreciate you having me on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Really looking forward to this discussion. And we're just going to start off at the very top of the system. The Orioles have the number one overall prospect in the sport in their system. It's Adley Rutschman, big name, of course. And I'm just curious, do you expect Adley to make the opening day roster whenever the lockout ends? I mean, if he doesn't, then it's only service time manipulation. So hopefully, you know, with this new CBA, they get that stuff ironed out and he's there from day one to, to start to lead this team and really just, you know, make his presence known. He needs to learn the locker room, learn the major league coaches, the players, and, and he's really got to establish himself as leader, if, if nothing else. You know, his talent, his skills are going to show themselves. He's going to he's going to be the player that he is. But yeah, I think you got to get him up here. Honestly, I think you could have made a case that he could have came up in the pandemic shortened season in 2020. He was probably good enough and ready enough to be up then and let alone last year. So yeah, I think he's got to start the, the season on the major league roster. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for being on. Of course. Uh, I guess my, my first question then will be uh, after Adley, like, what do you think of the depth chart at catcher like through the minors top to bottom compared to in years past and I guess like who would you who would you like label backup for Adley right now in the system honestly I I love the depth of catcher right now I think all throughout the system you got Maverick Hanley you know the defensive specialist should probably start the year at double a I think perfect world it seems like he's really putting in the work with his bat which you know, was lagging a little bit behind his stellar defense. But if he can get that, you know, up to par a little bit, I think he's the perfect backup for Adley for the foreseeable future. But you also have guys like Connor Pavloni, who they just drafted, Creed Willems, who they just drafted, Samuel Basayo, who, you know, was a big international signing, Brian Hernandez as well. I, I think they're really deep at the position. And it seems like they know what they want with that. And, and they will go after it and get it. Right. I, 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 I like the group as a whole, too. And I think, uh, right, like you said, the lower minors contingent is well represented, like the 19, 20 year old uh, tier. And going uh, a little more general, like taking a step back, we're Orioles fans and we've been kind of like long suffering for, for a while. Uh, you know, our losing seasons were interrupted by a short window, but we kind of knew that it wasn't like a sustainable window where the minor league system was competitive year in and year out. Now, at least we have that. So just like as someone who's connected and informed and pays attention to it all the time, like how good does it feel to root for a baseball team that you're confident in their system and the personnel throughout? Yeah, honestly, it's incredible. I've been, you know, I've had my blog, the Oriole Report, since I was in high school following the minor leagues. That was like always what I was interested in. And it's night and day. I mean, it our farm system has never been this good, at least since I've been a fan or I've been alive. So yeah, it's so much fun to watch. And, you know, hopefully it, the next part is just seeing them make the majors and, and following through on their potential, which I have every, you know, faith that they will considering the player development team in place and, 
And you, there's just so much depth and so much talent that some of it's definitely got to break through. So it's very exciting. Right, very welcome change. Absolutely. Definitely. And um, I feel like an area of weakness in previous eras of the Orioles um, has been the pitching, especially pitching development. I know there are people out there in like uh, the prospect world who are still a little sour on Orioles pitching prospects altogether just because of history. But I do think this current development staff is, is different than the previous regimes. Um, but of course, you know, in all the successful seasons they've had um, in recent years, you know, 2012, 2014, 2016, when they went on those runs, pitching was still a weakness, you know, to a degree. They had stronger staffs. They had Chris Tillmans and guys like that, but you know, they never had a bona fide ace. And at the top of this, their system, they have two guys who I think you can make the case, definitely at least one of them, has ace potential, Grayson Rodriguez, you know, top pitching prospect in all of baseball. And then D.L. Hall, who, you know, had some injury troubles last year, but he's back at the complex and pitching again now. So my question for you is, what do you think their respective ceilings are? And how confident should Orioles fans be that they come close to reaching those ceilings? Well, first, Grayson, I feel like you have to be pretty confident. I think Fangraphs had him number three overall. I mean, he's got true number one ace potential. Seems like he's got four, maybe five plus plus pitches and can really control the zone. I think the only question people have with him is, at least from what I've seen, is like, can he go past that five inning mark, that 85 pitch mark, which, I mean, he's a big guy. He's a, like a Roger Clemens type competitor, like ultra competitive. I have no doubt that he'll be able to get in that sixth, seventh inning, hit that 100 pitch mark. And if anything, I feel like he's a guy that's just going to get stronger as the game goes on. So I, I feel pretty confident with Grayson. And I, honestly, I feel pretty good about DL Hall too. I mean, the guy, his stuff is every bit as good as Grayson's. I mean, pure just pitch, you know, ability. So, it, I mean, yeah, he had that injury. Hopefully he's healthy. Worst case, I feel like he's a huge weapon out of the bullpen, but I, I truly think he can still be like a, a number two, maybe even ace level starter at the major league level. That's not out of the question. That's the pitching good. Uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me to like actually formulate this sentence, but the pitching bad part, it, this is not coming from me, but there are nitpickers and critics that say that the pitching behind that, those two is uh, seriously substandard. And uh, I, 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 I kind of disagree, and I know some of the names, but uh, from your perspective, who are guys who are ready to kind of like step up and maybe enter that? that top tier and be recognized by prospect people instead of just Orioles minor league supporting people. Yeah. This is the question right, right now with the Orioles prospect people. Um, and this gets me fired up, honestly. It's like, Good. well, if you, if you take away the best pitching prospect in baseball and another one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, the depth isn't incredible. Well, it's, it's still pretty good. And you still have those guys as well. I mean, you have Drew Rahm who dominated double A at, 21 years old last year. I mean, he looks as, as good as you could get. Gene Pinto, you just had video of him on your uh, Twitter feed in that last day or so looking great. I mean, uh, that's a guy, us on the people on the verge. We, uh, those two are back to back, by the way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they, uh, we are huge fans of him. We, we see a ton of potential with him. Mid 90s fastball, great change up, another breaking ball, really tunnels his action really well. So gets a lot of swings and misses, works fast. Love that guy. Um, Zach Peak, I know Eric, you love him. I love him too. He's 
He's added a hard slider over the offseason. I'm very curious to see how that, you know, mixes in with his stuff. He's already striking out 12 guys per nine. So <laughs> Kyle Branovich, I mean, the list goes on. The depth is not lacking. Yeah, it might not be the best depth in all of minor league baseball, but it's almost by design because Elias knows what he's doing. He knows the guys he likes. He wants to develop them. But we're also incredibly deep in other areas where you are allowed to trade players and acquire pitching at later down the line. So I, I think it's all by design. I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Definitely. And, um, you know, another pitching prospect who I really like in this system is Kyle Bradish. Um, he was Fangraph's third pros uh, pitching prospect overall in the system behind uh, Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall. And I know Orioles fans are pretty bummed about, uh, you know, Dylan Bundy not working out. But, you know, if Bradish or, of course, Peak turns into something, then I think that could definitely soften the blow of having to trade Dylan Bundy. So what kind of role can we expect Kyle Bradish to play in in the major leagues in 2022? Yeah, I can't believe I even forgot to mention Kyle Bradish. I love him, too. I mean, he, he's got excellent stuff. Um, I think the Orioles themselves are super high on him. They always seem to mention him in the same breath as Rodriguez and Hall. Uh, I think if the spring training wasn't delayed, I would, I would have predicted that he would have made the starting rotation out of spring training, but I don't know if that's possible, you know, just given that short window, that'll probably be, be there. But I do think he's going to get significant action at the major league level in a starting rotation. He's going to be given every chance, every opportunity to make it there. Another subject, like not particular player related that um, I've been thinking about the last couple of days is the circumstances with the lockout are adversely affecting every single team to a degree. The degree that they're affecting the Orioles and the rebuild seem a little bit lesser. It would be great for D.L. Hall and Bradish to get work with their instructors and to be on the mound and providing data for the evaluators. That would be ideal, but right now they can't and they're gonna to have to do that elsewhere. But otherwise, it looks like there's gonna be less than 162 games in the season. So maybe the O's won't lose hundred games. There's less low meaning wear and tear on some of the, their younger players, pitchers especially. So if the season is a little bit shorter and the minor league campaign they can get into it. Do, do, do you share that perspective that it would not be the worst case scenario if the season is a, a, a degree shorter for the rebuild? I think you make a good point, right? Because look at Cleveland Guardians. They added, what, 11 guys, and a lot of those were younger prospects in single A, double A, and, and they can't play. And like Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners, he, he's unable to practice with the team. Yeah, it would be great for Hall to get get in the camp, just get with our trainers just to show that he's healthy. They can have some confidence in that. And same with Taron Vavra coming back from injury. But at the same time, you know, they didn't add a bunch of guys. And the guys they added were at the upper levels and pretty much, you know, right there as far as being ready to help the team. So, yeah, I think that I, do, I would share that perspective for sure. Another thing that uh, interests me is, uh, you know, two of the biggest bats in the system, uh, Gunnar Henderson and Kobe Mayo, we all know, at least in the lower level in the minor leagues, they absolutely tore it up, just put up really nice numbers in 2021. I'm looking forward to what they can do in the upper levels uh, offensively. 
Defensively, I personally think they're both great at the positions they play. Gunner at shortstop, Kobe at third. Fangraphs uh, expects Gunner, according to their list, to eventually be a third baseman and Kobe oh. to be a right fielder. Oh. Uh, do you think that ends up happening, or do you think they stick at the positions they're currently at? I know what Eric thinks, and uh, I tend to <laughs> I tend I tend to agree with him. Um, I think Mayo looks pretty smooth out there. He's he's still very young though, so you never know how someone's body's going to develop if that will impede his ability to play third base. Right now, he's a third baseman. There's no doubt about that. Gunnar Henderson, I think he'll be given every opportunity to stick at shortstop. I mean, why not? But at the same time, he splits time with Westberg there now. You have a guy like Joey Ortiz who's just phenomenal defensively. So. Even if he could play shortstop, I don't know if he's going to be the best guy at the major league level with this group to be the everyday shortstop. He might be a better defensive third baseman, and his bat is definitely good enough to carry it, at least until Kobe Mayo comes up. And then you, that's a great problem to have. You figure it out from there. Certainly an interesting debate that I'm willing to take part in anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, or like three days ago at camp, Kobe was on the warning track talking to fans in the outfield and some fan just blurted out. She asked him, she's like, so what are you going to play third or, or right? And he like looked up and I, I, I just was like, you know, I, like, like you can answer it. Cause she asked you and I said something smart, like under my breath, like don't get me started. But he was like, the Orioles have me every drill. They send me to third. So they haven't told me anything about the outfield. So it's all third base, you know, uh, that that that's where I am and that's where I expect to be but I am a player and the coach is telling me where to go so he gave like the the most mature answer uh possible which was good because I was prepared to give one less less mature than that <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's good to hear um so at at the camp I'm watching every single thing it's uh it's the mini camp it's not like really spring training hasn't started and I get to see Gunner go, really, it's not against West, Westberg and drills, but they are next to each other. They are like in line behind each other all the time. So I get a great perspective on who does what. And they both are really so full of, of, of positives. But right, like you said, there's, there's uh, Joey right behind him. So that shortstop, it's tough. And it's, it might not be decided by this time next year. It's great to have the opportunity to let all the participants play it out. Let's go over to second. Who do you like as far as like battling for depth and spots at second and why? I think I would have Connor Norby right now as the top of that food chain, so to speak. And Taron Vav is right there. I really was hoping he wouldn't have suffered that minor injury you know, last year and would have got more game time. And I feel like he would have made it to AAA by the end of last year and really had that first opportunity. But I like Norby's game a lot. He's just, a, he's gonna, he's a hitter that hits. I mean, yep. the defense might not, you know, be as good as some others, but that bat is gonna carry the day with him. And yeah, you. I mean, you still got Jemai Jones. I know a lot of people have given up on him, but he's still got the tools and he's at the major league level or right around there. So he'll be given a bit of a shot there. Ortiz could play there. Westberg could play there if, you know, if he's forced to. I, it's, it's looking good. Cesar Prieto even. I mean, we got to see what he can do once he gets into game action, but uh, another great option that you have at your disposal. 
Don't forget about Bernays or Colin, by the way. Yes. Both seen at camp. And remember, Colin had a lower leg injury, so it's just weird. I had a great slow-mo video of him, like, hopping into his pre-pitch. So, so much downward pressure on both ankles. And, I, and, and then he made a nice, a nice play going to his right, like, towards second to, to get it. And I was like, all right, well, there's a, a very clear picture. His ankles are, are moving pretty good. So, don't forget about either of them, too. Like, again, more, more guys to, to help the, let the play figure it out. Yeah, you got the depth and then you let the, the cream rise to the crop, so to speak. And Hernandez is another great point. I mean, that guy, he's he's so young and he he can hit the ball clearly. Like if he can add some good weight, similar to Joey Ortiz, the way he did over from 2019 to 2021, he could definitely be a breakout candidate. So shifting gears a bit uh, from what we're currently talking about over to the draft. Uh, after, obviously, you know, the Orioles took uh, the first overall pick in 2019, drafted Adley Rutschman, the no-brainer pick. Uh, in the following years, 2020, they went under slot with their early pick. They took Heston Kierstad, uh, which allowed them to sign Kobe Mayo later in the draft, which obviously in that regard worked out. The jury is still a little bit out on uh, Kierstad, but as we know from Eric's reporting, um, he was at camp looking good. Uh, and then in you know, 2021, they went under slot again, drafting Colton Kowser, allowing them to spend money later in the draft. And there were bigger names taken after Kowser, like Jordan Lawler, Brady House, and Khalil Watson. But arguably, uh, I like the Kowser pick a lot because he had such a nice debut and he's a college level, uh, college level bat. So he's going to progress through the system quickly. So my question to you is basically, how do you view the past two drafts? And do you like how they went underslot and got a college guy in the first round. You know, yeah, the underslot thing doesn't bother me in the least. I mean, look at the 2020 draft. That is an incredible draft. Just you had Kobe Mayo. Even if you take, even if I know Kirstad looks great, we're rooting for him. Hopefully he comes out hot and just can catch right back up. But just say he never played again. You still got Westberg, Servideo, Mayo, Baumler, and Hudson Haskin. I mean, that's five great players right there, let alone Kirstad comes back. So very happy with that draft. And then last year, I was rooting for Khalil Watson personally, just that high school, high upside guy. But Colton Kowser was number two on my list. So definitely not complaining about that. And he came out and made it look like he was playing Little League, like walking all over the place and just slapping the ball or wherever he wanted to. Obviously, you know, they could add some power there. And just based off Eric's videos, he, he has at least shown that ability in his batting practice rep so far in this spring. So, yeah, I, I love the pick as well. So. I hate to just rave and rave and rave about the system, but it's just such a different vibe wow. from the past, you know? Yeah. I don't actually hate it, but <laughs> yeah, that's why you're here. homie. let's go. <laughs> but it's just such a uh, breath of fresh air compared to the past. And it's so deep and, and so, so talented. hundred percent. Yeah. It's just, you know, really nice to see. And um, you know, on the last day of the 2021 reg uh, MLB regular season, the Diamondbacks won their game on a walk-off home run. And because of that, the Orioles ended up with the first overall pick in the 2022 MLB draft. So uh, there's a lot of speculation out there about, um, you know, who the Orioles are actually going to take. And whoever Mike Elias and company uh, are planning on taking right now could change between now and then. So they don't even know for sure who they want. Um, I know who I would prefer but I'm curious, who do you expect them to take and who do you want them to take? 
Right. The if you're just going based off his past few drafts, you would expect always oh, going to take uh, was it Jace Young or or Brooks Lee, but I think it's Tamar Johnson right now. I think he's number one with the bullet. Um, he fits the Elias profile, even though he is a high school player. He's got an incredible hit tool. He's got some power in the bat up the middle. You know, defense might eventually be a second baseman, it seems like. But right now he's at shortstop. Um, and Drew Jones is another option, of course. But to me, Tamar Johnson, that hit tool, it's almost 80 grade. Some people have it at. So I, I feel like you, you can't turn that down. And he could come in and be the number one, number two prospect in this number one ranked system. So it's for me right now, I mean, things can change. There's a lot of time before June, but it's tomorrow. I'm with you. I, I think uh, I kind of look at it like from a little bit different perspective. Like when I predicted that they would draft Colton Cowser, it was because I just saw a, a, a fit in the outfield depth chart and like a need near the top tier. So I'm kind of thinking in the same same thing with this draft. And I just think the infield group with Tamar or the outfield group with Drew Jones would be so uh, uh, just a different level of dynamic. And that that type of punch of talent might make people stop thinking like, oh, the Rays have this talent thing dominated or, or the Dodgers. You know, it really would put the Orioles on par with the elite development systems and organizations that way in, in baseball. So I think like I, if I feel that way now, I, I do see that kind of like intensifying towards the draft. But again, I think the players are going to play and prove their, their, uh, their caliber. But uh, this is a great time to, to remind anyone listening that when it comes to covering the draft, Bob's uh, show and guests that they bring on, especially uh, Stephen Loftus, have it covered from all types of angles, including data, uh, different systems and different ways of evaluating, including like uh, in terms of slot and money and everything like that. So as the draft gets closer, it's a great way to get uh, educated and make your guesses be less speculation and more uh, information based. Um, I, I, my, my question, what I was getting to is uh, separate from that. Another thing that has to do with the lockout, if they eliminate the rule five draft, to total different subject. I see that as a huge positive, but I certainly understand people who feel differently because the Orioles have would have the top selection and could choose from a huge population of new and different talent. For me, I'd kind of rather keep the talent that's already been developed. Where do you personally stand on uh, this issue, considering the, the, the names involved? Yeah, I think you, you I'm, I could go either way, right? Like, it would be great. We have the number one pick. You know, you'd hate to lose that opportunity to have number one pick in Rule 5 draft, but it's still, it's the Rule 5 draft. What do you, what's the best case scenario you're going to get? Like, a, a, a pretty darn good reliever like we did last year in Tyler Wells? Yeah, that was awesome. But how likely is that? How often does that happen, you know? And I like Robert Newstrom. I like Nick Vespi. I like these guys that we we just didn't have room for this year. And I think it could be a silver lining. One of those guys could have got picked like Zach Pop the last year and, and could be gone from the system. And I, I would hate to see that right now, especially with where we are. So, yeah, I would definitely not be, you know, too upset if, if it did get canceled. I mean, we're a rebuilding major league club, 25 to 26 to 27 year old talent that our organization has developed is kind of a vital piece 
in, in getting from first to second gear in the rebuild. And, you know, just watching Newstrom and Hall and Dorian and a little bit of Vespi at camp, you know, the, the thing that just comes to mind is, like you said, these guys, they, they are ready. This, they need the season to start. They need to be in the majors. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very much hoping for that silver lining. And, again, that would just, like, clinch it for me. Like, the lockout <laughs> timeline has been so perfect for the Orioles this particular offseason. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's just such an interesting, like, uh, paradox, really, because on one hand, like, I'd really like to see them go after a guy like, you know, Joey Cantio, Tanaj Thomas, Mason Martin, uh, Griffin Conine with that first overall pick. And, you know, you're getting a guy who can play immediately in the major league level in 2022. And, you know, you can see if they're, you know, actually going to stick or not. You know, like, uh, you know, the Tigers took Akil Badu last year or Red Sox taking Garrett Whitlock and those being extreme success stories. I realized that was a bit of a unique circumstance because of the um, lack of scouting because of the pandemic. So it let more, uh, I guess, gems slip through the cracks. But, uh, you know, I still, it's just, just interesting, you know, trying to weigh if using that pick or keeping a guy like Vespi would be more beneficial to the system. And I think either way, the Orioles are going to make out well. And, um, you know, looking at this system, after uh, Kowser and Kerstad, I think the outfield depth is a little um, up in the air. You know, hopefully Hudson Haskin comes back healthy. But one guy who really impressed me last year after, you know, I feel like scouts were lower on him after his debut because of hit tool concerns, and that's Kyle Stowers. Absolutely put on a show. Um, so many home runs. And I'm just curious, uh, do you expect that hit tool to translate to the major level where he can be an everyday power hitter? I'm never allowed to doubt Cal Stowers again because I didn't even have him in my top 30 coming into 2021 just because of his, let's say, poor showing in 2019 after the draft. And just that strikeout yeah. issue, I just didn't see it translating, and I was dead wrong. I mean, the guy came out was amazing last year, and now he's in my top 10. So he does strike out a lot, you know, but he's a power hitter. And I feel like Ryan Fuller and him work so well together. They know exactly what to do, what to prepare for. He might swing and miss, but he's only swinging. He's only putting his a swing on the ball. And when he connects, man, he wallops the ball. So I can't doubt him. I think he's going to come up and at least be a solid regular, you know, at the major league level. I also skipped something with Kyle Stowers that my iPhone 13 is hanging over the center field fence has helped me realize this guy goes after the ball in the air like a skilled wide receiver. What, having him on slow-mo, just in the football drills, extending the hand, I just love the way he goes after balls. So as a manager, you know, this is a guy that you can count on to make tough, tough, tough plays look easy. So, you know, there's even more, more excitement with, with the profile of uh, Stowers. Um, Now also there's another podcast, a a daily one for O's fans. That's uh, Connor Newcomb and he has uh, the Locked on Orioles and it's uh, very topical, great subjects and great topics all the time. And uh, very recently he had uh, U3 from the verge to join him in a draft, which is another, an outstanding idea. And I loved it. I listened every second and I enjoyed it. I voted for Zach. I think Zach has the best team, but I can listen to an, an argument for, for every, for every squad really. 
I guess my question, it's been hard to hold it in. How could nobody draft Steven Acevedo? That's a good question. I filled up my outfield pretty quickly. So, you know, I had what John Rhodes, Hudson Haskin, and God, I can't remember off the top of my what head. Bragg? Um, Kyle Sowers actually speak of the devil. Oh, okay. So, right, so yeah, those three were good for me. I definitely was expecting Steven Acevedo to be picked. I know you love the guy. I think he's got a ton of potential. He could be another breakout candidate this year. The outfield depth. I mean, it's, it's there, right? You can see we had four teams of 15 players and honestly, I, I love all four of the teams. So it's just another sign that the depth has improved to that level where we could do this. And there's still players like Daryl Hernandez didn't get picked. Uh, there's still players oh, who, no way. I didn't even yeah, notice that. yeah, I mean, there's still players that were legitimate guys. They just didn't get picked just because there, you know, was enough room. Wow. Knowing that there's no Daryl, I want to kind of have a team of the, of the field of everybody that's left. I know Josue Cruz would be my corner. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you could, you got used Neil Diaz, Adam Hall, you got the guys that have kind of slipped a little bit and you got some guys that could, could surprise us. Definitely. I mean, the, the depth the depth in this system is just insane, really. I mean, looking at it, especially when you compare it to even as recently as two years ago, uh, there's a lot to look forward to in Birdland. And uh, another prospect, if you want to even still call him, I guess he is, is uh, we haven't talked about yet, is Yasniel Diaz, uh, you know, the crown jewel at the time of the Manny Machado trade. And pretty much everyone in that, every player they've received in that trade so far has kind of uh, not met expectations or definitely not met expectations of, you know, Dean Kramer, Ryland Bannon and others. Uh, but, you know, Yasniel Diaz has still not made his major league debut yet. So there's still a chance there's something there. Uh, the big question is, of course, his health. Uh, so do you expect if, for the sake of the argument, Yasniel Diaz stayed healthy in 2022, do you think he has the talent to actually make it in the majors or is he, or should we just move on from him at this point? I do think he has the talent. I've seen him in the field. I saw him at Bowie last year when he was rehabbing. He hits the ball so hard. It sounds different off his bat. It sizzles off of it, but it's health. If he's healthy, but he, he's going to be a player. He, he could do it. He could. Absolutely. He's got the skills. He's got the talent, but he just cannot stay healthy ever since we traded for him. I feel like it's been kind of one thing after another. He got hurt immediately in the AFL. I don't know. It's just, he's a really athletic guy, a lot of skills, but he's just, he's got to stay healthy. It's almost like the Nolan Reimold, but he hasn't even made it to the major leagues yet. So yeah, unfortunately, I hope he puts it together, but I, you just can't count on it now after all these injuries. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit iffy on, on Diaz too, but I'm willing to extend to him an opportunity because the focus is still rebuilding and finding out where, uh, where some, some pieces land. Uh, some other trades have yielded uh, different type of players like lottery, lottery pick type players that have ended up like looking like their development is going to be on a good track to San, um, Pinto and uh, Isaac De Leon. So I guess, um, are you still in the mindset, like where we are in the rebuild of where you would like to continue that process, kind of take a look at your assets and trade them for prospects of that ilk right now? Or are you ready to 
kind of hold on. And this one specifically has to do with, with Trey Mancini. So you follow the team, you know the prospect landscape. Now there's a whole other league that can use a DH. What does that mean to you as far as value and availability? Look, I think I love Trey Mancini, right? Awesome story, great guy, great player. We're one or two years away. He's a free agent at the end of this coming season. So to me, I mean, unless you're just going to let him ride it out, and that's fine. Maybe you, you don't get enough back in trade to justify trading him when you could just have him on the team and then kind of let him go into free agency or whatever in the offseason or see if he can figure out something there. But to me, I, I would try I would try to trade him just because I don't know what the fit is there. With Adley, he's definitely going to be the starting catcher. He's going to need days off, and you're going to want to put him at DH or first base. But then you got Mancini and Mountcastle. You want to get Rutschman in, in the lineup. There's more of these guys coming up. It, it's just a tight squeeze. So – if they sign him to an extension, I'm not going to be mad. I love Trey Mancini. It'd be great to have him with the Orioles long-term, but I just don't see it. And Elias is a smart guy who I don't think is going to let a heartwarming story get in the way of doing what he thinks is the best for the team. I definitely agree. I feel like, uh, you know, I was talking with Eric about this yesterday. Um, I love Trey Mancini, one of my favorite players on the Orioles for sure. Uh, but I feel like you either got to give him an extension or you, you got to, you got to trade him. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And of course they don't have to, they could, you know, let him play out that final season and then do whatever he wants in free agency. But I mean, if you're able to get like, you know, a 45, maybe even 50 grade prospect for uh, Trey Mancini, like a Reese Hines type, maybe uh, I feel like you got to do it especially if, you know, he comes out whenever the lockout ends and the season starts and he comes out cold. Now, once you get to the trade deadline, he's a lot less value and it makes a lot less sense to, you know, trade him for less than you could have gotten at the beginning of the season. Then, you know, the public perception is even worse. And there's going to be pushback no matter what. If you trade Trey Mancini with the entire, you know, story he has along with them, there's going to be pushback. But I think you can justify it if in two years, you have a prospect or two who are really good that you got for him. So it's an interesting dilemma. I, you know, I know how I, how I personally feel about it. I definitely agree with what you're saying there. And I also wouldn't, I wouldn't be disappointed if they gave him an extension. So it'd be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. And a guy that I think you might want to hold on to the trade deadline area and, and hope that he rebounds and starts off hot is Anthony Santander. And especially, you know, that timing with Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom coming up maybe around May, June, July, that could that could go well too to open up a spot and yeah Santander I know he's like the other guy that's like a, a trade candidate so I, I don't know if the value is there right now just because of the the season he's coming off of but maybe he starts hot and then teams get more interested again yeah that's an excellent point I you know I've seen tweets joking about Santander getting traded 10 minutes after whenever the lockout ends <laughs> and I don't know if I see that because obviously he was a big time name trading wise in 2020 there are a lot of rumors that he was going to be traded to the marlins or a team like that and it never happened and now you know with that injury and just disappointing season altogether uh i would not trade him i agree with you and i would wait till the deadlines you know i feel like if he's healthy he's definitely going to rebound and yeah that's a really good point i definitely agree the theme of our show when we did the marlins was basically like they <laughs> own the market for minor league pitching so even if Santander is not able to like fully inflate his value to the, you know, the ideal uh, area, I take a second tier Marlins minor league pro pitching prospect for him, especially one that's kind of like healthier or has like a neat pitch. 
or a high strikeout to walk ratio, or you know, something that our scouts have identified as a developable developable skill. So I, I I'd let Santander try to play and and and, and inflate his value. Uh, something that's a little more current, like extremely current, the Orioles announced in the in the last couple of days that in Sarasota there's going to be games for their uh, affiliates to play against other teams around here. Affiliates, I guess it really hasn't been like announced, but the teams around here are the Braves, the Twins, the Red Sox, the Rays, and the Pirates. So they'll be playing the, the affiliates of those teams. It has not been announced if it is open to the public or not. You know, I'm hoping very much, I'm sure, you know, obviously I'm hoping that that it is. If it is, how soon are uh, you or a representative from your show going to uh, make your way south so we can watch the games together? Yeah, I have to ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be up to Zach. He, he's the one that, you know, he, he can make his own decisions. Now, I, God, I wish, you know, if I was single, I'd be on the first flight down, right? But uh, yeah, it's going to be so much fun watching your videos, you know, just hearing what you guys have to say, anyone that can can get down there. So yeah, God, I'm so excited for, for actual baseball to start and sick of hearing all this CBA talk back and forth. So let's get these minor league spring training games going and then let's let's roll right into the, the real deal, April 5th. There are fans down here in Sarasota that go to Ed Smith during the day. Then the reason that they're here is because they have tickets for spring training games on those days. So they just want to get some type of, of baseball fix going to the to watch batting practice from beyond the outside outfield fence or through a couple cracks near the uh, the actual stadium part is it, it's all they have. So it would be, you know, it really would be something so so welcome to them. They're here anyway. So uh, I guess this is my uh, opportunity to say, please, you know, please let it right, right, right. Let it be open to the to the public, and uh, I'll make sure to 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 do my best to uh, uh, to enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, I, you from know, your lips to God's ears. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, you know it's and it's just disappointing how like um, that you know not surprising of course, but disappointing that with the lockout, Major League Baseball did not have a concrete plan ready to go in the event of a lockout of what would happen next. Because you know, I had tickets to several games this March that are now canceled, and if they immediately said these games are canceled, but we are going to have minor league camps uh, where you can go and watch. I might have still, you know, kept my reservations, you know, at hotels and whatnot. But for them, you know, two days before to be like, oh, starting tomorrow, you know, we're going to have a camp open. That's just it's not practical for anybody who doesn't live like half an hour from the stadium. And once again, not surprising. But that that's my little soapbox about uh, spring training being poorly scheduled with the lockout. But a more exciting topic is. Uh, you know, the international market, that's uh, something that Orioles fans are not used to the front office being a part of before Michael Elias came around. And now, of course, they um, he is very active there signing a bunch of guys. And in the past two years in particular, there are some pretty decent names. Uh, in, of course, uh, two months ago, January 15th, they signed Leandro Arias, Cesar Prieto and a couple other uh, good names the year before. Uh, Michael Hernandez was the top signing. Did not have the strongest debut, but it was also a really small sample size. 
so can't read much into it. But, you know, my sort of two-part question for you is, one, you know, how, do you, how does it feel to finally have a front office who, you know, is investing in this uh, market? And two, of the guys signed in the past two years, who are you most excited about? Yeah, unfortunately for Orioles fans, this is this is all brand new these past few years, right? So we're still getting used to like, okay, what does it mean that they put up these numbers in the DSL? <laughs> like, uh, how do you, you know, evaluate that? And uh, I think what I've at least come to look at is walk rate, strikeout rate, just, I, I don't know, there's no video, like, so I, the walk to strikeout is the only thing I could think of because it's, you know, how much can you put into a small sample size, yada, yada, yada. But um yeah, it's exciting, right? Especially as they climb the ladder. You know, Keith Law is all about, oh, the Orioles would be higher on my rankings if they had an international presence. Well, here it comes. So it's going to be fun to see them hit the full season ball, which is going to start this year. And as far as who I'm excited about, I would say Leandro Arias from this past year. I mean, Fangraphs already has him at number 12 on their Orioles ranking, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, didn't know he had that kind of potential, but but I love it. So I'm excited to to see reports of him. And yeah, you mentioned Michael Hernandez didn't put up the best, you know, pure numbers. But again, he did walk a decent amount and didn't strike out a ton. And just from what you hear about and read about his frame and just the potential that people still that have seen him still think that he has is pretty exciting. And Samuel Basayo, catcher, just has a monster left-handed swing. Um, if he can, God, connect at, you know, full season ball with that, he's going to be, what, 18 years old this year in the FCL. So that's like, that's huge. He could be a Jordan Alvarez type of type of hitter. <laughs> he might not be able to stick behind home plate, but I think that's the potential that he could possibly have. And let's see. Um, I don't know. I could go on. Luis Ortiz. I think there's a lot of the pitchers that I think, you know, don't have great big names with the Orioles fans yet, but we talked about it on that draft we did with Locked on Orioles, like Cesar Alvarez, Moises Chasse, uh, Anthony Murillo. There's, there's just a bunch of guys there that could really pop. How about that catching group for the Rookie League, by the way, for two teams? One's going to be Creed and one will be Basayo. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of home <laughs> runs if you're the only fan in the stadium. <laughs> you got your hands full there, down there. Um. I guess, like, in years past, this is kind of like we talked about pitching and we named some great names, like, really good names, but we skipped an awesome one. And, like, it just seems like in years past, if we didn't have it structured like we've been discussing and everybody knows where the system is so good and it's full of talent, like, this guy might, like, stand alone as the best prospect where a lot of things are built around him, and that's Michael Bauman. When I got to camp and I saw him in 2019 – he was with Grayson. He was with DL. He was with Houston Roth, Cody Sedlock, all the, all, the, all the guys that had been built up, Blaine Knight and everybody. And he had the most pitches, and they were doing the most in the air. So now we're an injury and a rehab past that, but it's still like 30 months later. So when we talk about pitching being good, he's kind of like an easy name to forget. But still, we should be like over the top excited about his pitch mix and his potential role. How do we keep forgetting about Michael Bauman? You're so right, right? Like um, he he comes up, he he struggled a bit, okay? But he got his feet wet. He got a taste in the major leagues and he was coming back from all that stuff that you talked about. And he put up great numbers at AA once he really got rolling and then AAA when he got promoted. So yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think that's what was missing in 2020 was a chance for the guys like 
Keegan Aiken, Alexander Wells, Zach Luther to start in AAA, you know, take their licks, maybe get a, a brief appearance at the major league level, figure out what they need to do to adjust from there. And I think maybe the best thing that could have happened for Bauman was to come up last year and get shellacked a little bit so that he can, Bob's right. yeah, he can, he can take those bruises and, and heal up and figure out, okay, here's what I can do differently. And he'll have something to work on heading into the season. And yeah, I think again, worst case scenario, he's going to be a guy pumping gas at the back end of a, a bullpen and he still has every chance to win a starting rotation spot, you know, at any point during the year for this team. So very exciting. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad uh, Eric mentioned Bowen because that was going to be my next question. Um, you know, I just, I definitely don't read too much into 10 inning uh, sample size in the major leagues. Uh, just, you know, the fastball and slider are definitely above average. So if he doesn't make it as a starter, I think we could definitely see him at the back end of a bullpen. Um, you know, and the one thing to keep in mind with him is he's, you know, almost 26 and a half years old. So they're definitely going to be using him at the major league level very soon, whenever the lockout ends. And uh, speaking of Orioles prospects tend to get a little overlooked, uh, especially with a poor MLB sample size. It, it, uh, another guy who comes to mind is Jemai Jones. I know we all remember last summer, uh, everyone on Orioles Twitter was, you know, uh, rooting for a call up. If you want to call it rooting, I mean, there's, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, jokes being made um with reporters and stuff but uh then they finally called him up and you know it wasn't wasn't the most uh amazing performance in terms of instilling confidence of what he can do in the future but he is a talented player and if a guy like him were to you know break out that'd be huge for the rebuild so I guess my question for you is one what are your expectations for Jemai and two do you are there any prospects in his tier range of the system who you think could take a big step forward and help uh, move the rebuild along quicker? I'm going to keep my expectations low with Jemai, right? But at the same time, we've talked about on our podcast, he has all the tools. Like individually, he, he's he got power. He makes a flashy, great play in defense, but then he messes up a simple one right after that. Like if he can get it all to click, he could be a guy that just goes from meh results to just all of a sudden, you know, pretty darn good. So I'm going to... I, I would imagine he might start back in AAA or maybe he starts on the bench and tries to work his way into a, the starting rotation at second base or wherever at some point. But I'll keep my expectations low with the possibility that he could definitely, you know, make a jump at some point. And another guy, maybe Rylan Bannon. I feel like his season is just so hard to understand. His batting average for balls in play was astronomically low, like almost impossible. So it's hard to tell. If that would have been normal, what that would have done for his numbers, he went on a two-week stretch where he was just crushing every ball out of the park. So, you know, he still got that in him somewhere. So maybe a fresh start. And if he gets out, you know, out of the gate pretty pretty decently, then maybe that will get some confidence going. And he'll be the guy that they thought he was going to be going into last year. I like Bannon. I've seen you know, I've seen good things from him in BP. And I've, I, I, I've seen him uh... – I have decent swings down here. I like his uppercut style swing, and I think he puts a good, like, lower hat. He can generate a lot more torque than somebody his size uh, looks. I'm, I'm an org guy, so I would probably prefer to give some of those chances to somebody who could come to minor league camp and get hot and do well and earn those chances. Specifically, that is Caden Grenier. And um, 
So he's he's in that category. And a guy you said a couple minutes ago also, and I thought this when I heard it on the show the other day, is the pitcher Luis Ortiz. I think I think performance-wise, it's subpar, but stuff-wise, it's probably not. So it would not shock me if he does have a really good camp and he ends up on on, on an affiliate. Do you do you see that as realistic for him? And then go back to same thing for Grenier. Can he get spots? I guess at Norfolk with a uh, with a hot camp. Yeah, I think so. Right, Ortiz especially. We had Kobe Perez on our podcast talking about the international draft, and I feel like he mentioned that Luis Ortiz is looking to start in Loe Delmarva. So that would go. <laughs> yeah, that would go t- towards what you're saying there, right? So yeah, that would be fun to see. And um, who was it again? Sorry, with the Grenier. Grenier. Yeah, I think yeah, especially with the CBA stuff and in spring training with the guys on 40 man being delayed, he could, you know, come out in minor league camp, look good and, and get a chance to uh, maybe make it as the 25th, 26th man coming out of spring training at the major league level, or at very least he's going to be in triple a and then you're one injury away. You're one hot streak away from, from getting a chance. And he's got the glove. He's, he's got some power, at least doubles power. And he, you know, it's more about just, it's not swinging and missing as much, but He's got he's got tools that can help a team, even if it's not, you know, a starting guy. And the organizational philosophy has now made a major shift towards prioritizing pitch selection. So perhaps at this late stage of his development, it'll kind of be like an old dog, new tricks type of scenario. So and I think Patrick Dorian could be another guy that kind of surprises in that way in, in minor league camp. I feel like, you know, he could give a run for Kelvin Gutierrez maybe at their base guess what he kind of already is at this <laughs> mini camp he's been doing okay fielding cleanly across the bag really cleanly good footwork you know he looks like he looks like pat dorian very capable very above average defensively so that's a, a, a excellent and appropriate name to be mentioned right there and looking towards uh back towards the major league level uh my final question for you is about a pitcher just where he fits in and that's Zach Lothar. This is a guy who I really liked um, two years ago. And I feel like he's, interestingly enough, this is a, kind of a weird comp, but he's had a very similar trajectory to Braxton Garrett on the Marlins, uh, both six foot two lefties. Lothar about 30 pounds heavier, uh, but, you know, both kind of like soft tossing lefties who made a major league debut in about 30 innings, and both of them. Uh, Kind of struggled. I think Lothar struggled a little bit more than Garrett, though Lothar had a little bit more Ks. Uh, so I guess my question for you is, do you expect Zach Lothar to come around and be a bullpen or rotation piece that the Orioles can count on? Or is he more of a quad A type pitcher? He kind of, I feel like he's, I'm not looking at him as a starting rotation candidate anymore, which is oh. not a knock on him. Um, I think his stuff is going to play really well in a two or three inning stint in the middle of a game to, or, you know, that bridge guy that can get you from the starting pitcher to the back end of your bullpen. Maybe not as much stuff wise, but similar role as Josh Fleming for the Rays, just a lefty that can give a different look and, and mix things up. I'm definitely not giving up on him. I just, I, I see him more as a reliever than, than a starter right now. For some reason, a guy I'm still high on is Alex Wells. I know the stuff is like, I love him. I love him. You know, the stuff is not pure. You know, he ain't throwing gas, but he knows how to pitch. And 
look at his numbers at AAA versus the majors last year. I think it's a confidence issue. I think, I think he just needs to get in a rhythm. And as soon as he can figure out, yeah, my stuff is going to work against these guys the same way I pitched in the minors, it could work at the majors. Then I feel like he could be a guy that can stick in the back end of a rotation. So I, I put more faith in Wells as a starter than Luther, as crazy as that might sound to some people. And not me. I'm so aligned in, in everything you said, word for word. And I think it, the, the key is once he gets in a groove, we're going to see the best of Alex Wells. And we, we have not yet, mm-hmm. but I'm very, very, very confident that we will. Also, strangely, like he can't, he's on the 40 man, so he can't work out either. But I, I've seen him work and I have no qualms about the fact that he's going to come in strong and extremely ready. He's just that 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 kind of athlete so absolutely great great point and this is my last question also uh another zach last year the like the story of the system the guy who came out and and showed to to be like at his maximum level was zach watson people had i don't know about like wrote him off but they established the profile and thought that he'd stick to it and he really exceeded who would be your one you know this is kind of the pressure on you who would kind of be your the one person that you would think could take a leap like Watson and be a, a big story like a, a higher average or a much better strikeout per nine guy or much more taters or something like that? I don't know if this qualifies, but I'm I'm get, getting the vibe with John Rhodes that, you know, he's a guy that's been underrated big time. Just I keep saying, is it because his name is John Rhodes and it's such a boring name like <laughs> that so just doesn't stick out? But, but I feel like he's just not getting any publicity after that 2021 draft. And I think he's got some real tools and you, you got that one home run he hit, right. That was just a monster shot. I feel like he's a guy that might kind of like Kyle Stowers going from 2019 to 2021, just show a vast improvement from what he showed in the brief stint after the draft into a full season. So if that qualifies, that's my guy, John Rhodes. He qualifies. And, and uh, uh, before Bailey uh, wraps it up, uh, I just want to say thanks one more time. And anyone that's listening, uh, Monday nights for Orioles fans, it's the, the most informative podcast. They get the best guests. There's three of them. There's Zach, Nick, and Bob here tonight. It's called BSL on the Verge. Uh, I don't know how many people that I know in my life that don't follow it that this would apply to. But if there's any that are listening right now and you want to get uh, Orioles minor league information, uh, up to date and from the sources that actually do it every single uh, Monday night. So thanks uh, very much for, for being our Orioles expert. I can't thank you enough for the kind words and you're been on our show. You're a great guest. You're coming on tomorrow night, right? So look forward to it. <laughs> this is a, a good team here. I, I really appreciate you having me on. This was a ton of fun. Definitely. I'm uh, really glad to have you on. That was such a fun discussion. And uh, before we, uh, you know, go, just where can people find you on social media and stuff like that? Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter at the Oriole Report, um, and the podcast Twitter is at BSO on the Verge. Definitely a good follow, especially with the season coming up. Nick controls the Twitter, so I can't take credit, but I can brag on him. He does a great job getting those clips out, and and you won't miss a thing if you're following our our Twitter page. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bob. And that about wraps us up. This has been the Florida Prospect Report, our eighth installment of the System Spotlight series. Please stay tuned for future episodes. We hope you enjoy. Thank you so much and peace out.